Welcome to Be The Life with Lucy Green. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. We've got another Beaver Pod Life podcast here. Today we have Brad Hill. Brad Hill, welcome. Thank you for coming. Um, we've got Brad, who's a clinical assistant professor in equine practice at the University of Nottingham. And we're going to chat a bit today about students and how we're preparing these people to enter our equine veterinary profession. So thanks for coming, Brad. Oh, thank, thanks for having me, Lucy. It's exciting to be on the other side. So Beaver kindly let me have a go at this, um, but I'm sure you're going to be a lot better than me. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for having me in the hot seat. No, we'll, we'll muddle through this together. Joint effort. <laughs> so Brad, can you tell me a little bit about what your role is at the University of Nottingham? I think that will really help us get some background as to how you can enlighten us on this process with students. Yeah, thank you, Lucy. Um, yeah, my role in the, in the university is very varied, which I like. Uh, I do lots of teaching across all the years so years one to five and I sit on a number of committees as well so I'm heavily involved with equality diversity and inclusivity I'm actually the LGBT plus champion I've never been a champion ever um, but I am now which is amazing Uh, I'm also a mental health first aid instructor so I train mental health first aiders throughout the vet school staff and students. So I teach a little bit about resilience, which I think is a really interesting topic. And I think that's probably about it. So a bit of teaching, I don't do any clinical work and a kind of a couple of other hats, uh, which I think keeps it quite fresh, really. Keeps me in touch with um, with what's going on within students and in terms of what makes them tick, I guess. You're down with the kids, basically. I try to be. (laughs) No, that's good. So, I mean, we've we've come under, I wouldn't say criticism, but there's been a lot of chat, hasn't there, in our profession about obviously the lack of equine vets, lack of people wanting to come into this field in the profession. Um, And and some some people have sort of criticised the way that we're selecting individuals at the start of vet school so the the people we're selecting from school and then I guess how we're progressing them through their early years and their early learning could you talk to us a little bit about how you guys select students to enter your vet school yeah this is a really interesting topic and it's something that we've been reviewing recently so we've got an admissions working group which I'm part of and we have discussed at length the fact that I think we, we all realise now as academics when we're interviewing students, we don't look that closely at their personal statements anymore because inevitably they do tend to be quite generic. So they've all done incredible things. They've all travelled the world and, and, and experienced wonderful um uh, kind of lifelong experiences which we don't want to dismiss but equally we need to kind of tease out some individual traits and what's the best way of doing that so maybe looking at the personal statement is is something that we can push aside uh, and looking at all their grades they're all fabulous students they've all achieved A's in in all those subjects so now we're thinking how can we look for other characteristics such as resilience good communication good team player um and I suppose just a general awareness of of life in, in practice or life in potentially a, a, a stressful situation. So there is, we have put together a, a new, um, almost a bit like an entrance exam or a test that they have to uh, complete, which is an awareness test. So we build these scenarios around 
you are seeing practice with a vet on a yard and you see that the the horse hasn't got any water um what do you do do you phone the rspca maybe or do you go straight up to the owner yourself or do you maybe have a chat with the vet in the car on the way back to the practice so it may seem like common sense but it's it's important that we get students that have that 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 kind of thinking um early on and we and we maybe select those students that we think are going to be appropriate not only for the course but for life in practice so mm. a lot of work going on around that topic it's like making judgments isn't it like social judgments yes. do they make yeah. that right call at the time yeah no that's really that's interesting i certainly don't remember being asked any of those questions in my um sort of uh, application and interview for, for vet school um and then and when, once you've where'd you go from that so once you've looked at their personal statements you obviously have the interview process as well don't you yeah so they go through the the uh they get their personal statements scrutinized before we see them in the interview and then we get a copy of that they they will do this like you correctly said the judgment test um and then they come into the interview process and we uh, chat to them. There's normally two of us and we have um, a set number of questions that we tend to split between the, the, the two uh, interviewers. So uh, so it tends to be a clinician and maybe a non-clinician. And they they also actually have to look at some videos as part of their, their process. So they, they have to have uh, looked at some videos of uh, animals maybe in a clinic. So I think one of the videos is like a Labrador um, that's in a small animal hospital that's uh, got a sling. Um, and then another one is of a penguin in a zoo that's got a, um, something wrong, wrong with its wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a, sh- a lame sheep with a lamb. So they've had to have looked at the videos and then come to the 20 minutes face-to-face chat and then we discuss what they found in the video. So we're expecting them to, to, to talk about the welfare implications and uh, potentially talk about the fact that, the, the, you know, the animal might be in a clinic or might be in a zoo and, and, and those sort of considerations. Um, and then we just ask them some really open questions and try and decide whether they're going to be a right fit, you know, the right fit for, for the course and also whether we think that they'll go out into clinical practice after five years but there's been a lot of research done to suggest that that you you know I think we would all agree we're not the same people when we arrive at vet school as we are when we end so I think you have to be a bit careful about thinking would this student be an equine vet in practice and more kind of streamlined than like than that and just think about the person that's in front of you and would they actually be able to cope with the demands of the course and I and I think also we forget how demanding the course is. Even now, I taught the first years yesterday and I thought, they need to know every bone, every ligament, every muscle, every nerve, every yeah. blood vessel. Yeah, yeah it's in massive. The, it, yeah, it, it is massive. massive. Information overload, isn't it? And I think it's easy, as you say, for us lot that have all graduated and moved on now, to forget the pressure that you're under. Like I look back at vet school and I think, you know, I thought myself quite a tough cookie. I thought I'd been in some pretty, pretty tough situations and 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 got through them. But actually, yeah, vet school's really high pressure and quite hard work. So, so once you've got these kids kids into the vet school, I guess, um, 
how do you support them? And, and more interestingly, I suppose, for us as, as a, a veterinary association, how do you encourage these people to consider the equine side of the profession? Because obviously they all go in wanting to be a vet, some sort of or other. Um, but we know from data that was actually presented by Chris Proudman back at the Congress that, you know, a lot of, particularly a lot of individuals that think they want to be an equine vet when they go to vet school, it, 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 it dissipates. They, they they end up with fewer and fewer of them actually going into equine work by the end of it. So in those early years, how do you try and encourage people that equine's a good good place to be for those that maybe think it already and also those that maybe haven't considered it? Yeah, so this is one of my um, main interests, really. So when I started at Nottingham, I was given a, a, an, an opportunity to develop a niche or make a, a bit of a name for myself. And I decided to have a go at teaching equine behaviour, mainly for two reasons. One, because I think that we need to be better at horse handling in terms of welfare. And I know that we're under a lot of scrutiny now in terms of um, social licence. And secondly, because I feel that we need to give every student an opportunity to be an equine vet. And this whole idea of are you horsey or not, or do you wear a gilet or not, is really important. And, and things like that really do matter to students. They get put off within the first months because they look around at their horsey friends and they think, well, I didn't go to pony club. I don't wear a gilet. So I'm not going to be an equine vet. And it's such a shame. So we, so I've tried really hard to, to, to stop that from happening. And, and the best way I think we can do that is to build confidence around handling horses. And the best person that I think who's done this is Gemma Pearson. So huge respect for Gemma. She said to me when I started at Nottingham, she said, if you want to, to start this kind of teaching, come up and see what I do at Edinburgh. So off, off I went on the train Um spent uh, the uh, the day before the the beaver cpd her cpd that she does on um restraint and equine learning theory i went the day before had a tour around the vet school with Gemma, and she very kindly told me a couple of the teaching sessions that she runs and i said great i'll um see what we can do in terms of getting this into the first year at nottingham and uh, i must say support from my line line manager was amazing and and very quickly it entered the curriculum so the equine behavior teaching at nottingham was born and yeah. and from that then we could really get to grips with giving all students an opportunity to feel confident enough to approach a horse and you must remember we do get students who have never touched a horse so yeah. they don't they can't tell you if a horse is, is highly aroused and therefore dangerous and they can't tell you you know if a horse is pretty chilled out they they just don't have those those skills that's interesting so so do you find I mean Nottingham particularly do you find that you're you're seeing that some of these students are sticking with the equine idea and are are they getting good experiences out and about with other equine vets because I think that's quite an interesting topic that was brought up is sometimes they get put out on EMS placements and they might hang out in a car particularly <laughs> with an equine vet for you know a day or a week and if that same equine vet is quite you know chirpy and and positive about their career choice and enjoying themselves and I guess that's a positive um positive kind of influence on that student but I have to say and I've been there before if you're having a bad day and you're stuck in the car with a student and all they hear is you whinging and moaning about it then I can understand we might put a few people off I know that's been been commented yeah. on hasn't it I mean how do you find students going out on equine placements with us equine vets out in the field how are they coming back and talking to you guys about it yeah. are they having good well 
Yeah, they they do talk about it, and um, and sadly, they they do get put off. And um, I don't wish to to be the one that kind of if anyone's driving around now listening, going, "Oh God, you know that student was awful. It was me that put them off." Well, well, maybe they needed putting off if if they weren't a very good student. So, thank you for doing that. But the ones that come back who who we think are really keen and and actually progressing really well in terms of their development. Um, that have had those poor experiences, it does affect them. And it, it's amazing how one experience with one vet in one practice can shift their career choice. Mm-hmm. And I have actually sat down with a, a few students and said, look, you know, um, you've got to think about what you want to be doing for the next 20, 30 years. And uh, you've got to put this into context. You know, that vet may have been having a stressful day or it may be that, you know, for another reason. And that vet may have some baggage going on at home or, you know, so mm-hmm. trying to bring them back down to earth and reset them and and get them to think about what their career goals are and, and not let it be clouded um, by that experience. And, and, and I'm the same as, a, you know, you said, Lucy, you've had you know feeling like you've perhaps been a bit negative to students well I remember being a student and the number of times the vet used to say to the client oh I've not put him off yet (laughs) you know do you remember that when you were a student and you go around with the vet and the vet would be like oh yeah he wants to be a vet but I've not put him off yet and I'm thinking well I don't want to be put off it was that it was that kind of disconnect of I don't know maybe it was me being slightly sort of autistic about it but I couldn't really understand what they were talking about when they hadn't put us off are they supposed to be putting us off I know and I think like you've got a good point there I think as vets we like to go around sort of with our little small fiddles almost sometimes saying oh way be to me we've had such a hard day and oh we work so hard actually yes that's true but lots of people in lots of professions work very hard and have long days and long hours and I think we have to be very honest about the way we work and the conditions we're under and we definitely shouldn't be sugaring the pill or putting rose-tinted specs on but equally it is I think easy to forget that if you're there being really down and out about your job and your lifestyle that that person sitting in the in the passenger seat at the very front of their career with it all, you know, mapped out in front of them could easily be thinking, I don't want to be you in 10, 20, 30, 40 years time. I don't want to be miserable. So, you know, we could put them off and looking back at a couple of experiences I had, I I distinctly remember a very well-known vet telling me as a, as a, as an EMS student, don't do this, get out while you can, or if you're too late to change your mind, then go and do smallies and earn some money and just have a horse to ride. Don't work with the horses. It's the worst choice you can make. And then conversely, I remember going to see practice at Liphook and being with a, a lovely vet who's probably, hopefully, maybe listening, but he, he took me out in his car for a whole week. He showed me that there's a complete balance of lifestyle, if you want it. We had coffee stops. We went to his house and had lunch one day. We, you know, chatted around with owners and hung around and ch- ate biscuits. And I thought there's two different contrasts, isn't there, on, on the take on how they were both working as ambulatory vets. But it was fascinating to, to feel those balances. And I think as long as we're all, as a profession, providing the balance – it's fine. But I think it is worth us all as individuals remembering our influence on that particular person on that particular day could be quite significant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's it's massive that that role modelling. I think we, we all if we if we care about the profession, I'm sure everyone does, then there is an element of responsibility when you say that you have a student to think about the experience that you're giving that student. And I know that's hard, because everyone's stressed, and everyone's got their own diaries to run. 
Yeah. Um, and, and there seems to be more pressure now on it, on vets to take students because there are more students and we keep churning them out. But yeah. we need those students because we've got a problem with, um, re, you know, retention and recruitment. So yeah. it's it's I think, you know, Hugh discussed it, isn't it? It's this idea that we all have to take responsibility for the profession in terms of wanting to produce the best um, vets or produce the best new graduate equine vets and also keeping them in the job so yeah um, we don't want to put people off we don't want to we don't want to pretend it's anything that it isn't and we want to be honest don't we about what what being an equine vet's like but I think it's always worth remembering that your experience is n equals one isn't it and there's lots of different people out there and and that's something I often say to the students that when they came out with me was you know this is this is my experience but you know everyone's got a different story and I guess from your point of view at the university end you know what would your what would your advice be to the Beaver members that will be listening to this podcast, you know, what would your advice be to them if they were taking students out and and giving careers advice? I suppose not not clinical advice, but the careers advice and the support. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. So I think the first thing is I would say don't shy away from talking about it because I think if you don't talk about something, then that's almost more alarming, isn't it? If you yeah. kind of like, oh, I'm not going to talk about that. So I think it's important that you talk about it. It, it's important that you're honest and have that open discussion but equally be aware that if you are having a bad day or you have got stuff going on at home then then and you are going to be more negative then then kind of sense check yourself so that you, you're not kind of letting that inadvertently come out in your conversation but they see you as superheroes I mean they do and and they and and actually you have more of an impact on them than we ever do because you spend they have to spend so many weeks out you know so we're here trying to kind of put the bones together of the whole curriculum but actually when it comes to fleshing it out yeah. that really is down to the people listening to this podcast and the people that have got the students in the car and and that can either be the kind of make or break moments for those students to to pursue a career so yeah talk to them about it and and you know share your experiences because I think that's really powerful yeah yeah that's brilliant well thanks for chatting to us today Brad it's been a pleasure and I think actually I've got lots more questions for you swimming around my head to be honest so <laughs> I feel like we might have to do some more more podcasts on this but for now I think we'll leave it today um, and maybe come back to chat a bit more particularly about I think how how those students progress on from vet school and leave you know leave your the care of you guys um, and come out into the big wide world and get things like internships and their first jobs and I think your input into how we as as vets out there being the employers or the colleagues can help them go through that transition process as well. Yeah that, that'd be brilliant yeah another great topic we can talk about how we we link up in that last year to, to life and practice so yeah. yeah. Brilliant thank you very much for coming today Brad it's yeah. been really good talking to you. Thanks, Lucy. Bye. Take care. Bye. This episode of BeaverPod was produced by Beaver. For more details on the benefits of your Beaver membership and the products and services offered, please go to our website at www.beaver.org.uk.